Hey guys, I'm Brad Livingston, lead pastor here at Transformation Church. I want to thank you for tuning in to our sermon today. At TC, we exist to see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. So no matter where you are on your faith journey, I hope today's message inspires you to take one step closer to Christ. Oh man, I have missed you guys so much. I ain't going to lie to y'all. The past couple weeks, we had other people preaching. I almost called them on Sunday. It was like, hey, don't even worry about it, dog. I got it taken care of. Um, uh, I miss you guys, man. It's so good to be back. And we're wrapping up the Unsung Heroes series. And uh, how many guys have grandparents that were like a little bit strict on you? Anybody? Anybody had grandparents a little strict on you? See, this generation of grandparents, I feel like is a little bit different, though. Right? Because like stuff we didn't get away with. Our parents let our kids just run amok. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like just, so it's like, oh no, don't play in the living room. But uh, but now grandparents are like putting bounce houses in the living room for kids to play on. And so I feel like there's a lot more happening. But I, I had I had some amazing grandparents growing up, and um, there was I, I had my my dad's parents uh, who were super gracious, and that was the grandma that taught me how to cook. Right? Come on, homemade biscuits. In the, in the cast iron skillet. Come on, somebody. Y'all don't leave. you like, come on. Yeah. Biscuits and gravy. Some of these people have had my biscuits and gravy now. They'll tell you. It ain't nothing to flap at. So I, uh, we, so, uh, I learned how to cook from that grandma. My mom's mom uh, was extremely strict. So she was the one, like, if you close the car door too hard, you're getting a spanking. You know what I'm talking about? Uh, and I did test that theory, and it is, in fact, true. All right. But I remember growing up, and, uh, and my, my mom's mom was that way. Uh, Pastor Dan's father, my grandfather, uh, he, he always joked around with us. But you always knew there were certain times or certain moments where, like, you didn't want to test them. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Come on, turn your neighbor and say, don't test them. Because I was like, I, I, you just don't want to test them. And I remember uh, <laughs> now looking back on it, I can, I can see. Cause you ever had that moment with one of your grandparents where they looked at you and was like, say what? Like you said something under your breath, but too loud, or you smarted off, and they hit you with one of those, like, say what? Come on, anybody hit you? Let's move it into, like, modern era. Your boss ever come at you sideways, and you want to be like, say what? Or a coworker, right? Or the girl at McDonald's says the McFlurry machine's still broken? <laughs> say what? Right? Look at your neighbor and say, say what? Right? So, so. Maybe you can understand, but may, maybe, maybe you know what it feels like when God comes alongside you and tells you to do something, and you look at him like, say what? You want me to forgive who? You want me to go where? You want me to go where? With All right. <laughs> Let's go to 1 Kings chapter 17, guys. That's where we're going to spend all day today. And in 1 Kings chapter 17, we get a, you want me to go where with who type of moment. We get a say what type of moment as the prophet Elijah, he's now getting sent over to be essentially taken care of. He's been sitting and, and hanging out and, and uh, kind of hiding away. There's been a famine going on. and he's, So he's been off um, and the Lord's just been taking care of him. And he says, I want you to go to this place. And as you go there, um, I, I've got something to take care of. And that's what we're going to pick up in verse 8. And we see Elijah's being sent. And this is what happens. Then the word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. 
I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink and a piece of bread? Now, what, what you haven't read, because we skipped part of it in 1 Kings 17, is there's a famine in the land right now. So there's not a lot to be had. As a matter of fact, if it wasn't for God's supernatural provision at the beginning of chapter 17, Elijah wouldn't have even made it this far, but God was giving to him. So it's a pretty bold request that Elijah walks up on a widow and says, hey, can you give me some water and some bread, knowing no one in the land has water or bread. So I don't know about you, but this is a good little, say what, type of moment both for Elijah and for the woman. So let's pick up at verse 12. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied to Elijah, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home, make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me, and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, the barrel of flour will not be used up, and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So Elijah looks at her and says, if you'll make bread for me, and you'll get some water for me, your barrel, your, your flour and your oil, it'll never run out. Now, I, maybe you're like me and you read the Bible the way I do. Because I'm imagining, again, and the whole point of this series is to identify how people in the Bible aren't heroic. They're just faithful. And so I want us to go into the mind of this widow for a second. He's like, hey, listen, if you'll just give me the bread and the water, you'll be good. Like, try again. I want you to picture right now, someone rolls up on you on the gas station right now. Hey, if you'll give me all the money in your bank account, you'll have plenty. <laughs> That's the equivalent of what we're talking about right now. Give me your house and God's going to give you a new one. Say what? Right? That's what's happening right now. Give me what you have left and God's going to give you enough. And she's like, hmm. Anybody in here have a little bit of a problem with that level of faith? Cool. The rest of y'all are liars. All right, so <laughs> let's go. Picking up verse 15. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah, and here is my question to you. What do we say to God when the request seems too big? What do we say to God when the request that he sits in our lap seems too big? I know what I say. I'm going to sleep on that. I need to pray a little bit more. Maybe that's indigestion. Like, I feel God speaking to me. It's like, or pepperoni pizza, right? Like, so, 
When God's request comes to us and it seems too big, what do we do? And that's where I feel like we can pull out of this. I want to give you just a few things that I think we can help shape our paradigm as we look at an unsung hero of the Bible who is this widow of Zarephath. Elijah's the hero in so many stories. But hear me, Elijah doesn't get to be the hero if someone doesn't sustain him through this part of the story. And so we look to her. And here's the first thing I want to give you. God is asking for what you do have, not what you don't have. Where God comes to you, when, it, when his request seems too big, when it seems like, man, I just don't know. Listen, so many times in our lives, we are so busy focusing on what we don't have, we're missing out on the fact that God's only asking for what we do have. Like maybe you can relate to the fact that like you're scrolling through Instagram and you're looking at somebody who's on their 15th vacation to Paris this year. And you're like, if I only had that, God, if I had that kind of money, of course I would tithe. Well, if you don't tithe with a little, what makes you think you're going to tithe with a lot? I'm going to get off that one, though, because we know. You know anyway, so God, God, God if, I, if my business is doing better, then I would, be able to, I would be able to take more time for my family. Listen, if you don't take time for your family now, what makes you think you would do it then? And so when God comes to us and he says, hey, listen, this is what I want you to do. And we go, God, I don't have enough to do that. God says, I didn't ask for you to have enough to do it. I asked you to do with it what I asked you to do, and I'll make it enough for whatever it needs to be. And, 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 and I, man, maybe, maybe you're like me in this where I go, God, what I need is more. And God says, no, what you need to be is faithful with less. I'm going, God, I don't like that. Say what? And that's where we end up, right? So, so maybe if we stopped wishing we had what other people had, we would do and be faithful with what God has given, given us. Because that's all he's ever asked for. God's not going to hold you accountable for what you did in life. He's going to hold you accountable for what he asked you to do in life. So I believe some of us are going to stand before God. God, I did this, and God, I did this, and God, I did this. God's going, cool, but I'm not interested in any of those things. Because I asked you to do this and this and this and, and, and I believe some of us maybe even all of us would be so guilty of saying God I can't do those things because I don't have enough faith that you would provide for me what I need to do those things but I'll at least do these things and God's saying I'm not really interested in those things I already have people doing those things I want to grow your faith to help you do these things and we go, all right, God. But only after we hit him with a, say what? Listen, your yes isn't about having enough. It's being faithful with what you do have. First Kings 17, 12, let's go back to the story. What happens? As surely as the Lord God lives, she replies, the widow replies to Elijah, as surely as the Lord God lives, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little bit of oil in a jug. And this is, this, is, this is exactly what Elijah looks at her and says. Be faithful with what you do have. Don't worry about what you don't. And she goes, easy for you to say because you got nothing. Anybody ever look at somebody that already lost it all and they're like willing to take risks? And be like, yeah, 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 but you lost everything already. I got a few things I'd like to hang on to. Right? Like you gambled your house away. I got a house. I'm not trying to lose my life. I'm not taking suggestions from you. Right? And that's where she's at in this moment. Right? So that, which brings us to the second thing. God is asking you to trust without seeing even in new seasons. God is asking you to trust without seeing even in 
new seasons. Maybe you can relate to this, but like anybody ever like, man, we just got here. I thought things would be different. I thought things would be easier. I thought things would be better. I thought things would be smoother. Like, man, we, 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 we stepped into this new season and I was ready for God to just make it like smooth sailing, baby. And as soon as you get out there, it's whitewater rapids. And you feel like you're in a boat without a guide. I remember going whitewater rafting when we were in Tennessee when I was younger. And, and uh, so we went on some, it was, if you know, whitewater rapids, like a lot of threes and fours. Um, so it was like significant. I think I was like 12. I look back on it like, dad, what were you thinking? You know what I'm saying? So, but we were whitewater rafting and and here's one thing that I noticed. So we're, we, we're going whitewater rafting. We're going over the rapids and things. And they told us, before, like, we're on the raft going down the river already. And then they give instructions. So we're, we're, going down the, we're going down the river already. And they're like, listen, if you fall out of the boat in the rapids, curl up into a ball underwater, and it'll eventually spit you out. Yes, young man, I have follow-up questions. Uh, I would like to know where this is going to happen, potentially. How long am I supposed to hold this ball position? Like, is this a five-minute underwater situation? Like, I haven't tested my lung capacity in a while. Like, I don't know, right? And so they're like, no, 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 you'll, you'll be fine. Just follow, just like, it, just pay attention to the guide. But the guy's behind me, bro. Like, I'm fearing for my life in front of me. He's like, so, all right, so we're going, we start going over Whitewater Rapids. And like, you, like, essentially, if, if any of you have ever done this before, you know exactly what I'm talking about. The only thing holding you in the boat is that your foot is stuck underneath this inflated thing. So we're going over Whitewater Rapids, you know, and we're screaming. And like, you know, and then like, we've got other, we've got some like younger ladies in the boat that are like 11, 12, 13. And they're screaming so loud, I can't focus anymore. Like, and it's like, we hadn't even got to the rapids yet. Like, you know what I mean? We just went over a rock. So they're freaking out. And so we go over and, and here's the thing that I, here's the thing that I noticed though. Like we, it got to the bad parts and we're going over Whitewater. We're freaking out, right? Um, but about every 30 seconds. You know what I would do? I would peek over my shoulder to see what the guide was doing. Because the water didn't matter as much as the person that was guiding us through the water mattered. So I'm sitting here, we're going through the water, I'm like, man, this looks serious. And I'll look back at him, and he just got a big smile on his face. And I'm like, okay, if he's chilling, I'm chilling. But the first time he hit me with that, if you fall out, I hit him with a, okay, so we're all on the same page. Perhaps trusting, even without seeing, is a lot more about keeping your eyes on the one that's taking you through these waters than it is on the waters themselves. Right? We got to trust God, even in new seasons, because I don't, I, 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 man, I'm, I'm that guy. Like, I, I, I tend to be more of a realist, but I love to be optimistic in new seasons where I'm like, man, things are going to be great. Things are going to be smooth. It's going to be awesome. God's got this. Smooth sailing, baby. Like, you know, like, I'm just, and then all of a sudden, them rapids start, and I'm like, uh, God, maybe you missed out for a second. 
But here's the thing. We have to come back to this reality. Man, we have to have God focusing our attention because, listen, it's not always going to be less stressful or less anxious or smoother or any of those things. The reality is Christians don't need calm waters because calm waters are diseased waters. What Christians need is faithfulness even in rough waters because the world never learned anything from Christians that didn't go through anything. The world learned what faithfulness is as Christians endured pain but remained consistent. And so our job is to be faithful, even when we don't understand. First, uh, uh, first Kings 17, 13 14, Elijah said to her, do not fear. I can only live through what I see, and what I see doesn't make room for what I need. I'm going to say that again. She's looking at him saying, I can only live through what I see, and what I see doesn't make room for what I need. And he looks at her and says, don't fear. Don't be afraid. And she said, what are you, what are you talking about? The widow's looking at him, and I can, I can see her. Like, let's, let's go to her space for just a second. She's a widow, so her husband has died. She has a son. She's in the middle of a famine. And all she's got left is enough oil and flour to make one more cake before they die. And here comes this man she's never met before. And he's like, do not fear. And she, I can see the attitude already. Ladies, where y'all at for just a second? <laughs> right? Has anyone ever told you to calm down? <laughs> Fellas, never. <laughs> right? Because it really is a secret code. If you tell your wife or your girlfriend, hey, calm down, they will immediately calm down and things will be fine and you can get right back. To it's a lie. All the ladies are like, sorry, what? It says, do not fear. And I could see her attitude welling up on the inside of her. Come on, take the superhero portion of this widow's thing away that we tend to read the Bible and make everyone super spiritual. She wasn't. She was a woman whose husband had died, whose son was alive, and had absolutely nothing to left. And here comes this guy saying, hey, don't fear. Give me everything you've got, but don't be afraid. And she's looking at him like, try again, man. All I've got is what I need for today. And I don't even know what tomorrow looks like, but what I've got is what I need for today, for me and my son. And even if I didn't have enough for me, I would make it for my son, but I definitely ain't making it for you. That's where she's at. And she looks at him, she's going, I don't know, we, we have no food, we have no oil, we have no crops, we have no provision, we have no water, and it seems like God doesn't even care, and you're here to tell me that you're a man of God to take from me the only thing that I have left, and as I feel like God is so far away, here you are to take the only thing that I feel like God gave me left. Absolutely not. You're not getting it. And he says, do not be afraid. And she looks at him and goes... Don't fear. Don't you understand? The only thing I've done is fear. I wouldn't even know what it feels like to live a life without fear anymore. 
As people come through these lands and see me as a woman without a husband, but with a son and property. I don't even know what it feels like to not fear, to go through a famine knowing that I have no way to provide for me or my child. I have no idea what it feels like to not fear. Maybe, maybe you can start to put your circle. I don't even know, God, what it feels like to not fear, to go through this pandemic and lose my job and have to relocate and not know how things are going to come to pass for us. I don't know what it feels like to not fear, to know if my child is or is not going to be okay through this sickness or this circumstance or this hardship. I don't know what it feels like to not fear because the bank is trying to take our home away or the things are going through life like this. I don't know what it feels like to not fear. And here is someone who is a man of God telling you, do not fear. How do you not fear when all you've known is fear? That's where she's at. I don't know what it feels like to not fear. If I don't feel fear, I don't even know if I would feel anything else. And at least I'll feel fear to know that I can feel something. That's where she's at. And here is this man of God saying, give me the bread. And don't fear. She's saying, you can go fly a kite. That's not in there, but that's what I read. (laughs) They had took that verse out. And it takes us to 2 Corinthians 4, 18. And now that I've prayerfully, as I've framed this up for you just a little bit, you can understand the the desperation behind this verse and what it takes to actually put it into practice. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. So I don't pay attention to what's right in front of me, even though what's right in front of me seems to be the only thing that I can see. What I do is I put my eyes on what I can't see, knowing that God is in control of what I can't see, even if I'm not sure he's even in control of what I can see. So God, what are you asking for of me? God's response, I'm asking you to have faith that I'll always be the only thing that gets you through whatever you're going through. I'm going to say that again because you need to hear both key words. I'll always be the only thing that can get you through what you're going through. The problem is maybe you're like me. That's frustrating because I'm a control freak that loves to have his hands on his own destiny. I've been through too much in my life to look at God and go, God, I can see all the areas where you definitely did some things different than the way I would have done it. Anybody? Have you ever navigated a financial hardship, a marriage crisis, a sick child? A moment of desperation where you weren't sure how you were going to make it through. You were in one of those say what type of moments. And God's looking at you saying, just trust me. And you're going, trusting you got me here. And I don't want to trust you anymore. And we realize it's not just that he's the always. He's the only. When I'm 
not sure he's the only. But it, the story keeps on going, and I want to take you somewhere because this is where it gets good. God is asking you to trust him with your greater need. God is asking you to trust him with your greater need. See, let's keep going in the story, and maybe you've grown up reading the story like I have, and then like, oh, then the Lord actually shows up, and he, he provides what we see happening in, in 1 Kings 17. God shows up, and the barrel never runs dry. The jug of oil never goes empty. She has flour, grain, oil, until the famine ends. She's got to, and the promise comes true. So she supplies Elijah with all that he, like she gives him the cake and the, the barrel never runs dry. The jug of oil never runs empty. She's able to make food. And so I can see her now. She's hosting block parties in the back of her little cabin thing. <clears throat> Come on. Rocking Jerusalem cruisers on her feet. The Air Jesus 12s. So she's out like, and she's got, she got enough. She's just giving it to everybody. And so she, she's out there. But here's, here's where we get to because God is asking you to trust him with your greater need. And, and, and for many of us, we haven't quite honed in. And I, I mean, I sympathize, but we haven't quite honed in on how to trust God with the current need. But there's, here's the thing I want you to grab a hold of. There's a greater need coming than the current need. And our ability to be faithful with the current need dictates whether or not we're faithful with the greater need. And so... So that's what I want to show you. Let's go back to the story because it's all in there. First, uh, First Kings, I don't know why I keep saying Corinthians. First Kings, I've been off for two weeks. That's what it is. 17 and 18. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse. And finally, he stopped breathing. And she said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? So the, in verse 17, the son is dying and Elijah prays over the son. And here's what we, here's what we see happening. He prays over the son and through the power of God, breath enters back into the son. He literally raises the boy back to life. But if she was never faithful with the bread, she never gets to hold her boy. Because if she just sends him along with the bread, hey, can you make me bread? No, I only got enough for me and my son. Get out of here. Guess who's not around when the boy needs to be raised to life? And it is our faithfulness with what we have that opens the door and the window of opportunity for what the greater need is that's coming. Because where you are, listen to me, this isn't the end. This is, this, you're, you're in the middle of a chapter right now. And whatever's sitting in front of you, maybe it's a housing situation or your finances or your marriage, or, or maybe, maybe you're at that place where in your late 30s, you're, you're starting all over again, it feels like. Whatever it may be, that's fine. I'm here to tell you what feels like the end of a book is really just the middle of a chapter. And as you're faithful in the now, God can and will become faithful in the end. But it is our faithfulness in the owl that dictates what happens as this story unfolds. You have a greater need than your current need, but your faithfulness with your current need is what unlocks the future of what your need will be. And this is what I, I put 
uh, on the screen. You guys can check it out. But it is in the shadow of the impossible that faith collides with God's miraculous provision. In other words, it is always in the shadow of the impossible that faith collides with God's miraculous provision, right? As it seems impossible, and we're looking at, at what, man, there's no way this could happen. There's no way God could come through. There's no way that you could do this in my life. There's no way, like these big say what type of moments. Listen to me, miracles don't happen when we could do it on our own. Miracles only happen when God shows up and we couldn't do it on our own. So it is in the shadow of this giant that seems impossible in our life that faith collides with God's miraculous provision. And that's why it is so important that we would have an endurance to our faith. That's why James 1 verses 2 and 3 says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters. Pure joy for what? Whenever you face trials of many kinds, say what? Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. What? Consider it like not happiness, not happiness like you just got your favorite food. Like, ooh, no, no, joy. You know, when the Bible explains joy, have you ever seen like two kids selling lemonade at a lemonade stand on a spring day? And they're out there like, that's the kind of joy the Bible's talking about, right? When you hand a kid a popsicle on a summer day and in three seconds, it's around, it's here. That kid's never been happier. That's the kind of joy we're talking about. Consider it, not when everything is going right, but when everything's going wrong. That's I'm just reading you the Bible, guys. You figure it out yourself. When you face trials of any kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, it produces perseverance. When I know he can get me through this, I'm gonna have faith that he'll get me through that. And I'm gonna come over here, but this is gonna require just a little bit more faith than I actually have, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna exercise it anyways. And so, all right, God, and, and, and as I have a little bit more faith than what I currently have in this situation, guess what happens when I look back over here? There's a bigger thing over there. And I'm like, oh my gosh. But you know what? I'm gonna use all the faith that I gained from here. I'm gonna come over here and go, all right, God, I'm gonna be faithful here. And then I'm gonna realize this is gonna take a little bit more faith than I have here too. And we're going, oh, dear heavens. God, do you even love me anymore? Come on, like say what? You know, and so, but you know what, God, I'm gonna, because you were faithful there and here, I'm I'm gonna exercise a little bit more faith than I even have, right? And then as we exercise a little bit more faith, I'm gonna get through this because God's faithful. And then guess what happens when I look over there? Oh dear heavens, right? And so we, he has to drag us over here to this one. And we're like, all right, God, I'm gonna be faithful here, but guess what it requires? A little more faith than I have. So I'm gonna be faithful with what I have. And sometimes I'm not gonna love it, but guess what's happening? My joy is increasing because his faithfulness is increasing. And so I'm going, all right, God, you got it over here too. And then I'm just dancing on the devil's head. You know what I'm saying? And like, oh, you want me to go over here? And joy is increasing because his faithfulness is increasing. And my joy isn't because I'm hurting. My joy is because I'm finding out trial after trial after trial that God's faithfulness, it carries me every step of the way. So we're not, we don't have joy because we're going through terrible things. We're having joy because we're finding out in each individual thing of our life, God's still faithful. 
God's faithfulness gives us joy, not the circumstances. But you never get to find out God's faithfulness without the circumstances. And so maybe you're like me, we're like, God, why do I keep going through this? And God's like, because I want to keep showing you I've got it. If you didn't go through it, you would start to think you're awesome. But as long as, as, long as I've got to carry you, you've got to keep leaning on me. I don't know about you. Anybody ever hit God with like, I knew you had it. <laughs> you get through to the other side and you're like, God, I know. Like, I know I was a drama queen back there, but like, I knew you had it. And that's where we find ourselves. Listen, God, if you did this, you can do that. Come on. That's for somebody here today. God, if you did this, come on, look, look, just look at the last year. Maybe it wasn't pretty for you, but there's, there's a moment where God proved his faithfulness to you. There's a moment where it didn't always look the way you wanted it to, but there's somewhere back there where God, he showed you he's got this, even if it didn't look pretty the way you wanted it to. And if he's got that, listen to me, he's got this too. This barrel of meal, flour, the jar of oil, it's a representation of our life here on earth when we're constantly running out of what we need. So when we read 1 Kings 17, our life is best represented by the oil and the flour because we're constantly running out. And, and I know you can relate to this where you're like, I don't know if I have enough. You're like, enough what? And you're like, enough. Strength, courage, joy, peace. I don't know if I have enough. Listen, barrels and brooks will always run out, but there's a source of living water that never runs dry. Which brings me to John chapter four, which is 13 and 14. There's a woman at a well, she's trying to get water and Jesus speaks these words to her. Jesus himself speaks these words to her. He says, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst. But the water I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. And he's not talking about a literal water there. He's about anybody that takes from me, anybody that receives from me, anybody that lives a life with me, you'll never run out. And friends, for some of you, you've been running out, not because you haven't been faithful. You've been running out, not because things were harder than they had to be. You've been running out, honestly, because you forgot what your source is. You've been trying to handle this all on your own. And listen to me, you weren't built for that. You weren't built to carry this weights of this life on your own. God didn't design you that way. You are not superhuman. God built you to have enough faith in the creator that no matter what you come in contact with, we can count it all joy because I'm connected to the one who will give me joy because his faithfulness always shows up. And that, friends, is what we need. Let me pray for you this morning. 
Father, we just thank you, God, that you are faithful to us. It is because of your faithfulness that we can respond with faithfulness. But we can also have joy, God, that you will supply all that we need. And so, God, I pray right now for every person that's online or in the room, God, that quite frankly, we've just been trying to do it all. We feel like our barrels are dry. We feel like our jugs of oil have run out. And here we are just gathering sticks, hoping to build one last thing. But God, I pray right now, come on, if that's you, I just wanna invite you to lift your hands just across this place. If you're just, you kind of been on that verge of God, I just need you to show up in my life. And if you're new to this, lifting your hands, it's just, an, you're, you're opening your hands. That's a, a moment of surrender to God. So you're just saying, God, this is your moment. I wanna receive from you what you have for me. God, for those that are here right now and they're just in a place where they need to receive from you, God, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would just meet us in a powerful way. God, that you would remind us, Father, that when we don't know how it's gonna work, you know how it's gonna work. But God, I also pray right now for supernatural provision in our lives. For God, for some of us, we do need, we need resources, we need finances, we need something to show up in our life. But God, for some of us, we just need joy and peace. We need, we need, we need a spiritual resource. And God, whatever it is in this room, God, I pray, God, whether we're online, whether in the room, you provide it in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, breathe life into lungs that have been dry for far too long. And let us get a revival in our spirit, God. God, let, let us start to get a spiritual resuscitation, something going on, God, where we start to feel like we've, we've got this because you've got this, God. And we trust in you that you're gonna carry us through all of it. And so we thank you today for your faithfulness. Come on, guys, thank him with your own words. Just say thank you to God right now. We thank you for your faithfulness today. And we love you in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And just close your eyes one more time. I wanna invite someone, someone us in this room. We, we, we know we need to be connected to God, but here's the reality. We know we need to know God before we can be connected to God. And for some of us, we'll just be honest with ourselves and say, you know what, I don't, I, don't, I don't even know that Jesus is the Lord of my life right now, but I'm ready for him to be. You've got sin in your life and just like all of us, sin has separated us from God. But when Jesus went to the cross, he paid for that sin today. If you're ready to let Jesus' death on the cross be your gateway back to God, I'm gonna tell you, he's already extending that to you. And so today, if you wanna make that step, I wanna invite you to pray this prayer with me and the whole church will pray with you. So you're not praying by yourself. Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. Forgive me my sins. Forgive me my wrongs. I believe in you. I believe you died for me. And so I give you my life. Make me brand new. Give me a fresh start. And I'll worship you forever. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. TC, let's put our hands together for all those that prayed that. Perhaps for the first time, we celebrate with you. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank you so much for listening today. To make sure you never miss a message, be sure to subscribe to our channel. It would also mean so much to us if you would leave us a review. If you want to connect with us on Instagram or Facebook, just search at Transformation Pensacola. More information about our church or to contact us, feel free to go to mytc.life. Mytc.life is also where you can partner with us financially, and we would love it if you would consider doing just that, as your financial support is a key factor in helping our content channels grow. 
So I want to invite you to join us next time for another message from one of our pastors as we see people transform from who they are to who God wants them to be. I pray you have a blessed day.